Would you join me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, may they be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hey, my sermon disappeared. I guess we're done. No, there it is. Sorry, folks, it's still there. And I gave away the ending, so don't look. Don't look. So this week, I had an awesome experience. I had the opportunity to participate in Vacation Bible School. How many folks here um, were there? We're here for Vacation Bible School today. Absolutely amazing experience. There were like 275 kids up and down the halls and classrooms here at Redeemer. Not only that, but there were all of the adults and the young adults and the volunteers and the teachers and the music folks. And the, it was just an amazing experience. And coming from other churches where, um, you know, I think the biggest VBS I participated in was like about 120 kids, to see a facility like this completely filled with kids who are excited about what God is doing that was a life-giving thing for me. It really fed my spirit. Show of hands, how many of you have ever had a time in your life where you had that spiritual high, where you had that moment of clarity where, you know, God's working in this. God's working in this. And it, it, we get so excited, those mountaintop experiences. We're like, I can do anything, and tomorrow I'm going to. <laughs> right? The spiritual highs, they're, they're amazing. And, and we all have them. Um, this last week, that was VBS for me. I taught as a, a small group teacher, the, the Bible story teacher, and so I taught the stories of Gideon and Joshua and Esther and Jesus to about 60 kids, um, and oh, they were adorable, and they asked questions, and it was amazing. I was truly blessed. So each of us has had that kind of experience, that VBS moment or that Christian camping moment or we go to the concert or we go to the, the rally or we go and we have devotions on the shoreline or, or whatever it is, there's a birth or a baptism or, you know, or, or something that, that we, come into the con we come into contact with the life-transforming creator of the universe. And we're all the way up here. Have you ever wondered why it is that when youth and young adults go to concerts and they go to these rallies and they're all fired up for Christ, that within a week they come back home and they've lost it. Or maybe you yourself have, have experienced God in something and you were fired up and you were on fire for Christ and you were ready to take on the world and you had that moment of clarity and you knew, you knew what you were supposed to do. But within the week, you had strayed from that road. Why is it? Why does that happen? About a month, month ago, it's June, right? Yes, a month ago, okay, sorry. In May, I had the opportunity to go to the Exponential Conference down in Orlando, which is a, a conference for church planters, and it was really exciting because I got to listen to and learn from a whole bunch of really, really cool, amazing ministry leaders like Matt Chandler and Francis Chan, but there was one gentleman who presented who really spoke to me because instead of preaching at us, right, a preacher dogging on preachers, instead of preaching at us, um, Wayne Cordero, the pastor of New Hope Christian Fellowship in Honolulu, um, which is in Hawaii, if you didn't know, um, he taught us, he taught us, and one of the things he taught, and while he was talking about church leadership and multiplication models for ministry, he taught us about the, the difference between spiritual experience, like our spirituality 
and our maturity as disciples in Jesus Christ. And my friends, the difference between those two things are why people of faith quickly fall out of faith. And so what I wanna do is I wanna steal some of his teaching and I'm gonna draw some amazing pictures up here so get your cell phones ready um, because I was not an art major. So this, if you don't know, is a chart. Okay, I know it's hard to tell. So this is the top of the chart, bottom of the chart. I wasn't trying to be a jerk. I, it just, I sometimes I have to explain my art because it is really good, but it's not. Um, top, bottom, and this is time. Okay, along the bottom. All of us have these experiences in our life where we're mountaintop experiences and we have these high spiritual moments, right? We come into the contact with the most high God and we come away from it changed and transformed and our spirituality is all the way up here. I'm told I need to write darker, so if you can't see it, just say, Tim, you can make it darker. We're all the way up here, but the problem is, the problem is, is that our maturity as a disciple is actually all the way down here. The reason why so many people come away from these high-energy experiences like vacation Bible school and concerts and, and really good messages at the church is because our spirituality is based on our emotional response to our experience of God and not on our maturity level. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to coin a phrase that you've never heard before. This is the danger zone. Welcome, my friends, to the danger zone. This is our area that we're gonna focus on today, but we, we all kinda of know how this plays out in our lives, right? We have this encounter, we have this event with God, we experience God in our lives, and, and we come home and we tell our family, our friends, our coworkers, we're fired up, and we go, let me tell you what happened to my, in my life. And they say, meh, right? And it knocks us down a little bit. And what happens is, is our spirituality, it just drops a little. But you know, we're faithful with our discipleship and we're reading our Bible and we're praying. And so our maturity goes up just a little bit. Just a little bit. But we all know what happens, right? Life happens. Life happens. And we get the news that there's a tragedy at our elementary school and our spirituality plummets. Our wife is unfaithful. Our husband is abusive. We didn't get the job. We got the diagnosis, right? We lost the job. And our spiritual, emotional response to God does this downward slide. But we're faithful people, right? That's what I've been told about the people of Redeemer. We are faithful people and we read our Bibles and we pray and we keep connected with each other in our small groups and so our, our maturity does increase, right? We increase our maturity but our maturity only increases a little bit, a little bit at a time. But there comes a time when our spirituality decreases to the point where it meets our maturity as disciples of Jesus Christ. And from this point, something amazing happens. Right? Something amazing happens when our spiritual life meets our maturity and instead of just growing a little bit at a time, we start to multiply. And if those of you who know about multiplying, it's different than adding. Adding, you just add a little. Multiplying it like doubles or triples or quadruples. And all of a sudden, our spirituality, instead of being based on our emotional response to God, is founded 
Its foundation rests on our maturity as a disciple. And we see this big change and trend. So friends, today, what I want to focus on is this danger zone right here. Because this, this right here, is where so many of us lose our foundation. So, we're going to walk through Tim's top 10 thoughts for an enduring faith. And I hope you have a pen like him um, reminded you because I do talk a little fast. And unfortunately, I didn't get the memo that Methodist pastors were only supposed to give three points in the sermon. Um, and so you get 10 today. Um, so you're getting what you paid for. You're getting what you paid for. So today, what I want to do is I want to go through these 10 things, and my, my hope is that through these 10 different things, it'll give you some tools, whether you are just out of vacation Bible school and you're riding that spiritual high, or if you've been a lifelong follower of Christ and you've just been beaten down by life, right? Those life-sucking events that devastate our faith because our goal is to get over to here. Now, show of hands, I want you to think, how many of you have that person in your life that you consider like a spiritual mentor, like they have it all together? Show of hands. How many can think of somebody that would say, that's the kind of Christian I wanna be like? I bet if you thought about it, those people are all living over here. They've experienced all of these things and they've built themselves up as a person of faith and now their spirituality rests on their maturity instead of simply on emotional response. I'm gonna talk about emotional response here in a few minutes, but I don't wanna get ahead of myself. We got all morning together, right? <laughs> so, number 10 in Tim's top 10 for an enduring faith, recognize the world around you. Recognize the world around you. In Acts chapter 17, we find Paul preaching to the people of Athens, and it says this, so Paul, standing before the council, addresses them as follows, men of Athens, men and women of Athens, I'll put my own words in, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along and I saw your many shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. You see, the people of Athens, the people of Athens in their culture, it was not so different than us. They, had a, they were highly educated, but only marginally spiritual. Only marginally spiritual. They had a lot of idols. They had shrines. They had, they had altars everywhere. And they even had this one altar that Paul sees that's inscribed to an unknown God. You see, they like to spread it out thin. Make sure they had all their bases covered. They like to think big, highly educated, but only marginally spiritual. My friends, I believe that that's the kind of culture we also live in today. Um, it's not so different. And, and so the first way that we begin to live past this zone is to start recognizing the world around us. We live in a culture where academics and marginal spirituality flourish, right? Superficial faith is paired with cheap grace. Eh, God will forgive me. I can do it. Cheap grace. We don't live in a time where we can look into our culture and see the way that faithful people are supposed to live. We just don't. It's not the time we live in anymore. There's pluralism, there's therapeutic moral deism, and there's the spiritual and not religious, and I want to tell you, I may offend some of you, but that's okay, that's what I do. If you say you are spiritual and not religious, you are only fooling yourself 
because religion is the practice of your spirituality. And to say that you're spiritual and not religious is to disconnect the action associated to your belief. It's kind of like saying, I love to ride in cars, but I refuse to get in one. Right? It's similar to that. It's a disconnect between action and belief. So you can't be spiritual without being religious. Um, so if you want your faith to endure, the gap between spiritual experience and maturity as a disciple, open your eyes to recognize the world around you and put your trust and your faith in Christ and look to him for what it looks like, not the culture, to be faithful. So number nine, number nine, find peace in not knowing the answers to all of the details. Find peace in not knowing the answers to all the details. How many of you have ever been in a Bible study or small group and have come out of the group with more questions than you had answers? And most of us who've been involved in one of those can say that's been me, right? And it's frustrating. I'm gonna erase part of this, the, the better half, um, for some really some good art, um, really good art. You'll like it, I'm sure. Everyone's excited, I can tell by your silence. God is infinite, we are not, right? God exists beyond all that we know and understand. Where we have boundaries and margins, God does not. And so this blank space right here, I'm gonna use to represent God, right? Without beginning, without end, it goes on an infinite number of directions forever, okay? We are finite, meaning we live within certain boundaries. We have only a limited capacity to learn. If we learned, if we could fill our brains 100% full, there would still be more that we did not know, right? Because we're limited, we're finite, where God is infinite. So we live and exist within God's infinite reality, right? And God can invade our space. That's that mountaintop, right? God can invade our space and get into our world. See, I told you the art was gonna be good right? But we cannot fully understand and comprehend God's space because we cannot get outside of our boundaries and our limits. What this means, friends, is that there are some things we will never know on this side of eternity. There are some things that we will never be able to fully comprehend about God. They call it delving into the depths of the mystery of God, and so on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus was at the Last Supper and he was sitting with the disciples and he did this crazy thing, he took off his tunic, right? So now Jesus is just in his loincloth, which is an image we don't like to think about on Sunday morning. But Jesus takes off his cloak and he wraps it around him and he gets down on the ground before the disciples and he says, I'm gonna wash your feet. And Peter's like, no, you're not. You're not washing my feet. You're crazy, Jesus. I wish I would have been there. I would have been cool to see someone call Jesus crazy in real life. Jesus says, you do not know now. You don't understand this right now. You can't understand this right now, but someday, someday, you're gonna get it. Someday it's gonna all make sense. Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. There are some things we just will not understand and we need to spend less time worrying and arguing about the details. And we need to then living into what God has called us to be and to do. Number eight, don't confuse emotions with devotions. 
Don't confuse emotions with devotion. So many of us, um, and myself included, I'm not, I'm not outside of this lift, perceive that the deeply spiritual moments in our lives are those highly charged, energizing moments. Seeing God in the sunset. How many have ever looked at Lake Michigan sunset and they're like, wow, right? Standing in awe of that beauty. But there's a difference between standing in awe in front of an aesthetic beauty and standing in awe before God. And if you stare into the sunset or into the fresh flowers coming out at springtime and you're like, wow, that's so pretty and my heart starts racing and I'm captivated by the colors, that is very much different than looking at the sunset, being reminded of the glory of God and having to turn my head away and bowing my head to pray to God. Those are two very different things. Don't confuse your emotions with devotions as often we do confuse them and we assume that any good feeling, any good feeling is God. But God is not joy, the feeling of joy. I know some people who do some really horrible things that take great joy out of it. I'm pretty sure we all do. But when you stand in the presence of the creator of the universe, nothing else compares. No sunrise, no flowers, no pretty lake, not even our, our old eyes of a newborn child. I wanna talk about this emotional response for a second because we all have that friend, maybe it's you and maybe it's me sometimes, I think it's all of us sometimes, who live for that emotional high, right? Call them spiritual junkies, right? They go conference to conference or concert to concert, rally to rally, constantly seeking that next big experience. And one of the telltale signs is when they say, my faith is not strong right now, I need to go back there to that one space because that's where I experienced God that one time so I can have that emotional high again. That person is basing their faith on emotions and not on the foundation of Christ as they're becoming a disciple. Proverbs 28, 26 says, those who trust their own insights are foolish, but anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. All the way to number seven. How are we doing on time? Everyone's watching this. Anybody word with friends? Have I lost you? No? Good. Number seven. It's the big one. It's my favorite. Expect suffering. Everyone likes suffering, right? No. But James says to expect suffering. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For when you know, for when you know what, that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. James does not say if suffering comes your way. What does he say? He says when suffering comes your way. You see, sin has a foothold in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our culture, in our city, in our state, in our country, in our continent, on our hemisphere, and in our world. Sin is a part of our lives. Our brokenness sometimes consumes us. We make mistakes and others make mistakes that affect us. So when troubles come your way, be ready for it. You see, we have a unique opportunity because we know that troubles are coming. We have the opportunity to prepare for them, to take the time to read the Bible, to pray, to be in a small group, to have accountability. It's kind of like Christmas. Y'all know that Christmas is coming? If you didn't, it's on December 25th this year. It's exactly 183 days away. Are you ready? 
No, I guess, no, I guess not. Some of you are scared now. Christmas is coming. We know that it's coming. There are two options, right? We can either prepare for Christmas to save for it, or we can ignore it, right? If we prepare for it, Christmas comes, and we can pay for it. We have the expense, we have the money set aside, and we're good to go. But I also know some folks that don't prepare for Christmas, right? You all probably do too. You know what happens. Christmas comes and it's a surprise. And what do they do? They go into debt for Christmas, right? Some folks that I know go into debt so far for Christmas that by the time the next Christmas comes, which is December 25th, 2018, by the way, um, they're still in debt. And they've not been able to work themselves out of it. And it becomes this perpetual cycle of going farther and farther into debt. And my friends, that is often what happens when suffering invades our life. So my charge for you in order to get through this stage is to invest in your spiritual life now. And then when trials come, because they do come, you can get through them through your spiritual surplus. Number six, expect joy. You can't have suffering without joy. They go together. Psalm 30 says, Sing to the Lord, all you godly ones. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Friends, just like trials will come in your life, joy also comes. We have an inescapable joy that we experience when we walk with God in our lives. The creator of the universe that goes with us brings us great joy and it's greater than any sunrise, it's greater than any sunset, it's more beautiful than any flower you can find. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Number five, one of my favorites, possessions and purpose are not synonyms. Possessions and purpose are not synonyms. In Ecclesiastes, we find these words, very fitting, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? I remember when I moved out of the industry world and decided to go back to college because that's what you do. Thanks, Mom. I'm sorry, I love my mom. She's an amazing woman. But I decided it was time to go back to college and I had to decide what I was gonna do, so I chose I was gonna be a pharmacist. Now, I'm not dogging on any of you if you're pharmacists. I love what you do and I really appreciate your work. But my motivation for being a pharmacist was I read on Google that pharmacists, pharmacists made a lot of money. But what I found out in school is that they also have to study chemistry. And I didn't like chemistry. So I decided it was in my best interest to change my major. So I decided I was gonna go into nursing because I watch MASH. And I love MASH, and so if, if they can do it, I mean, it looked like fun. I, was, I thought being a, a trauma surgeon would be a lot of fun. But also, Google had a lot to do with my decision because I looked at the pay scales. I thought that those two things would be opportune ways for me to gain everything that I wanted in my life. And it was within the, first, the end of my first year of school at LCC that I realized that money and wealth have little or nothing to do with my purpose in life. And so I started thinking about what is my purpose? When in my life have I felt like I was fulfilling my purpose? And I realized that there was a recurring thing that happened where I felt that my purpose was being fulfilled and it was when I was using illustrations to, to explain complicated concepts. 
I didn't focus so much on the art. Right? And so I pursued something else. And I followed the footsteps of my parents and I became a public school teacher. But God wasn't done with me yet. And I soon found myself changing professions again. You see, what I realized is that having money didn't mean having purpose. If you want your faith to endure, realize that God has a purpose for you, each of you here, a calling for every one of you, and it has nothing to do with your possessions. Wealth and possessions are not bad things. I'm not saying that they are, but they're not related to your purpose. Number four, see God in the ordinary. See God in the ordinary. Psalm 139 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Even if I go up to heaven, you are there. And if I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Did you realize that God was with you this morning on your way to church? He saw what you said to your wife while you were waiting. He saw how you treated your kids when they couldn't find your shoes. He saw the arguments you had in the car. You know, Aaron and I, I think our best arguments have always been on the drive to church. We could be very vicious. And then you get to church and you're, God bless you. So good to see you. Like we hadn't just spent the last 20 minutes screaming at each other in the car. God saw all that. God is with you in those moments. You know, God is with you at Meyer when all of the real people checkout lines were closed down and you're standing in line with 40 other people at the self-checkout and half of them are broken. God saw you. He saw how you reacted. When you were driving up 127 and it was one-lane traffic because for some reason they felt a Saturday was the best day to do road construction, he saw how you responded when that semi cut you off and merged. God is with us all the time, everywhere. And as sooner we realize that God goes with us in every moment, all the time, we stop visiting God on Sunday morning in church. We recognize that God is with us all the time and our perspective radically changes. So see God in the ordinary. Three, use the time you have. Ephesians 5.15 says, so be careful how you live. Don't be, live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. I have a favorite saying that's kind of confusing, but bear with me, I'll explain it. It is that yesterday was never here and tomorrow never comes. Yesterday was never here to me means that I don't live in yesterday anymore because yesterday defines a time that I no longer exist in. I used to live there, but now I live here. Tomorrow never comes is very similar. I never exist in tomorrow because tomorrow is a time that's a future point. All I have is now. Now this is not some cliche carpe diem, oh captain, my captain, stand on a desk and declare it. What I mean as a person of faith is that now is the time that we have to grow, right now. Don't wait until the first of the month to start a Bible reading plan because the pamphlet tells you to. Start reading it today. Don't say, I prayed yesterday so I'm good to go, I don't need to pray tomorrow, pray now. Don't, when you are on the cusp of spiritual burnout, when you're riding this downward slide of this life-sucking events that happen to you, don't schedule your Sabbath 
Stop right now and take it and live into it. If you want a faith that endures, it has to be now. This moment, present tense. Number three, no, we already did number three. Use the time you had. Number two, see, I wanted to go back. Number two, pursue the best. Pursue the best. Wayne Cordero, who I stole this illustration from, um, wrote a book called The Divine Mentor, and he talks about um, pursuing the best in life, meaning sitting at the feet of those who can teach us. And he has some very specific people that he says we should learn from and some people that he says we should learn from their mistakes, right? Um, so here's a couple of their names, because I know you're sitting at the entry of your seat like, who are these people we're supposed to learn from? He says, learn from Joseph, Daniel, Abigail, Isaac, Mary, Jacob, Ruth, Joshua, Esther, Josiah. You see, the wisest people in history are waiting for you in one book. Actually, it's a multiple book, so all bound together, but you get the idea, right? He says the greatest people in history that we can learn from are waiting to teach us the most important lessons in our life. And let them mentor you. Don't be a follower of a follower of a person. Instead, be a pursuer of God. God still speaks to us through his word. So if you want to have a faith that endures, and this is I want, I want you to hear my heart in this. If you want to have a faith that endures, stop reading books that tell you what the Bible says and start reading the Bible. Please hear me. If you want to have a faith that endures, Stop reading books that tell you what the Bible says and start reading the Bible. Trust me, you will find your heart transformed. Lastly, number one, never forget whose you are. Never forget whose you are. The most important thing that I can tell you today is that you belong to God. You belong to God. You were purchased for a price you were saved for a reason. You do not own yourself. You are a prized possession of the Most High God. And the Holy Spirit, which lives within you, is strong enough to see you through all of this, right? In 1 John 4, 4, we find these words, but you belong to God. My dear children, you have already won victory over these people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. Even amidst your deepest sorrow, even amidst the biggest life-sucking event that you have in your life, the spirit that has already invaded your heart is stronger than any shackle of sin or death or shame that the evil one can throw at you more powerful than any of it. If you can remember whose you are, your faith has the potential to endure the tests of time, put Christ first in your life, and live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit which already resides within you. So my prayer for each of you today is that your faith would not simply endure the test of time, but your faith would thrive as it rests on your maturity as a disciple as you grow, not on the emotional response to God, but on the strong foundation that rests solely on our Savior Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Awesome God, God of us all, we are so grateful for you to be our foundation. As we face the turbulent winds of this life, let our faith thrive. We place our faith in you and trust that you will see us through. Give us the courage to endure all that this life throws at us. 
Let us not find our foundation in the emotions of our faith, but in the foundation that is your son, our cornerstone, and it is in his name, Christ Jesus, that we pray. And the people of God said, amen.